Binge Boys is the show. Al Rudnick, Lon Harris sitting across from me. Lon, what is happening in the world of your chihuahua and beard? Any updates? He's only half a chihuahua. I feel like mm. we've been over this. He's half Pomeranian taco. They're known as Cheepom. Oh, Cheepom. It's a nice. Cheepom. It's a half chihuahua, half Pomeranian. They've got the Pomeranian face. He doesn't have a chihuahua. If you look at a like a like a Yokiro Taco Bell chihuahua, like a yes. classic Beverly Hills chihuahua chihuahua, they've right. got those very round faces with the big bug eyes. That's like mm-hmm. what makes a chihuahua chihuahua. So Taco doesn't have that. Uh, Taco has a Pomeranian face. He just doesn't look like a Pomeranian because they're poofy. Yes. So Taco has the Chihuahua body with the palm face. Gotcha. Did you do his 23andMe? Did you? I did. It's not 23andMe. It's 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 a company called Embark. Huh? Right? Oh yeah. See what That's they a good pun. That's do. A good you pun. see what they did there? Uh, yeah. So I did that. You know, they they gave me his whole breed breakdown. They also give you like a little medical stuff, like here's stuff that might be of an issue for your pet. And then they they let you know they keep telling you all of their like cousins. Like I get emails from them still where they're like, your dog has a new fourth cousin in what? Tennessee. Because well, other because wow. other people's dogs, they're they- everybody's doing this across the country. And so they'll find somebody else's dog who's like a relative of my dog. They'll uh-huh. let me know. Like it's like it means anything to me. Like D- can they tell you anything? Do they tell you anything like, oh, and by the way, um, his mom was a biter and his dad was a humper? No. <laughs> it doesn't drill down that specifically. Like we right, found right, his right. – but they, they, they can tell how genetically closely related they are. That's about it. Mm-hmm. So they can give you like 18% related or 2% or whatever. But it's just a bunch of dog names. They're like, oh, Fufu in Tampa. And I'm like, this means nothing. Wait, are you talking about a strip club or a dog? It's a dog who owns a strip club. Oh, it must have come in like an inheritance yeah, or something. Yeah, like, a, like a, a very skeezy guy who owned a bunch of strip clubs <laughs> died and left them to his beloved Chihuahua Pomeranian mix. Yeah, just happens to be Taco's third cousin. I wasn't sure whether I was going to mention it or not, but uh, let me bring the room down for one sec. We've talked about Millie a few times on the podcast and uh, said goodbye to my uh, dog that I adopted at 13. She lived to be ripe old age of 17. Love her to death. Uh, broke my heart a lot of it. You loved her to death? How? I warned I, you. I hugged her and I petted her. She and I was petted her very too hard. small, brittle, clearly brittle bones. Yes, like Mr. Glass. I broke her. No. Um, <laughs> yep, we had to say goodbye to her. Uh, failing health. and um, But oh, she was a great dog up until the end. Millie, uh, I love you. Thanks for uh, four great years. A very sweet dog. Indeed. Well, thanks for joining us for the, the Dead Animal Podcast. I'm going to pause things and go have a cry. Yeah. Just wow. kidding. Lon, the pod must go on. As, Jeez. Uh, no one has said. Okay. What do you say uh, we uh, move away from the waterworks here? And, do you uh, want to unpack this some more? Should we, should we talk it out? Um, you know, I, I've, I've talked it out a bunch. Uh, I'll, t- <laughs> uh, I'll reveal that it was, my, my wife said it was the first time she ever saw me cry. Really? The very yeah. first time? Yeah. Uh, as wow. we were driving away from the vet. And you're a noted wife guy, so I would have thought. I mean, I get sad. I definitely hurt. You know, I'm not some robot, but yeah, this... uh, Just not a crier. I let it out. I let it out. Oh, well, there you go. Sometimes if I get really emotional, I'll just go to a private place. Oh, yeah. Well, I was about to say, you also watched Space Jam A New Legacy this week. I would have thought that was the first time your wife would have seen you cry. (laughs) 
an emotional journey that film is. Yes, we'll get to that uh, <laughs> uh, in, in due time. But yeah, uh, yeah uh, Millie, R.I.P. Uh, thanks for the memories, Lon. Let's get to the news. Lon with the news. HBO and HBO Max exceeded Wall Street expectations in Q2. Is there any better feeling than exceeding Wall Street's expectations for you? Puts a little oh, bounce in my step, I know. Man, pop a bottle in the Time Warner offices. <laughs> we did it, guys. <laughs> Time Warner. <laughs> it's 87. Uh, they added 2.8 million subscribers. That brings them to a total of 47 million now for HBO and HBO Max. Uh, still, you know, way, way below Netflix, but but you do doing solid. Their new goal is 70 to 73 million by the end of the year. Uh, John Stanky, our, our favorite guy, the head of AT&T. Oh, yeah, the Stank Dog. Stank Dog himself. He particularly noted the strength of HBO's calendar in the second half of the year, which he listed specifically new seasons of Succession, mm. Love Life, Raised by Wolves, and Curb Your Enthusiasm. So our first... Confirmation will be getting new Curb before the end of this year. Ooh, nice. Love me some Curb. Love that new Curb. Uh, HBO Max, in more HBO Max news, they're going to team with Andy and Barbara Muschietti. They're the couple behind It and It Chapter 2. It Chapter 2, the interminably long journey. (laughs) Yes, a a descent into hell. How long? It's a long one. Honestly, uh. I feel like you, you feel the length because... It doesn't really know what it wants to do, and it's jumping around. Like, the first movie feels like a real through line, clear, here's the story. And then the second one, it's just like, well, we want to do the stuff with them coming back, but we got to do these flashbacks to the kids, and we got to do all this unpacking of the mythology. And it, it yeah. all just ends up like it, it feels aimless. It just. I think they could have consolidated the kids' individual journeys in that movie because it just, like, everybody got their own, just like dedicated, like, thread. And it was just it's too long. I was in the theater for too long. My yeah, butt probably hurt. Long. I got cranky. I probably had to go to the bathroom. Oh, Pennywise, you've ah! done it again. And then all they have to do at the end is make fun of him. That's the secret to defeating yeah. the ultimate evil. <laughs> yeah, thin-skinned Bill Skarsgård. <laughs> it's like the, the Ted Lasso philosophy of like, I bet you if you bring Pennywise his favorite snack treats and listen to his problems, he'll be your friend. <laughs> that doesn't work. That only works on evil clowns and uh, soccer hooligans. It doesn't work yes. on anyone else. Nope, just those two. Well, heck, that's what they, I'd like to see. Somebody, somebody do that mashup. Ted Lasso defeating Pennywise just in an instant because oh yeah that's I mean, he's he's kryptonite to Pennywise yes the goodness in Ted Lasso's heart would destroy yeah. that creature from like, well, uh, you, outer space you make that terrifying illusion all by yourself just that that is an amazing terrifying illusion I'm shaking in my boots right now I see you're trying to scare me but is it because you're hurting inside and it. Listen, I gotta say, it's working. That thing, it is chilling, all right? Uh, I mean, that big old spider with your face on it. I don't know what I'm gonna do. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, uh, uh, thanks for enjoying our new bit. What if Ted Lasso met Pennywise? Do we have some theme music for this? Anyway, the minds behind it, Andy Machete directed, Barbara Machete mm. produced. They're also married, as you can tell by the fact that they have the same last name. Machete? Machete? Machete, I'm assuming. Like, not Machete like the weapon, but the Italian last name. Machete. You said, like, the Italian last name, like I'm supposed to know that. Hey! Andy and Barbara! 
Barbara Muschietti. But you said that it's like, oh, you know, like the Italian last name. No, I mean, like, you know, like the famous duo that directed and produced It and It Chapter 2. Oh, yes. Okay, got it. (laughs) You know, like, you know, you know those people that you work in film. (laughs) You you talk about films. I thought maybe you'd know. You know what? I I thought maybe you'd know who they were. I'm sorry. I don't know. I I haven't gone down the It production rabbit hole. Yeah, the the director of the film. (laughs) Anyway, the the people who made It. It escaped me. The HBO Max people and Charlize Theron. She's also on board this project as a producer. They're all getting together. I think you pronounced one of her names wrong. Which one? Theron. Is it Throne? What is, what is I don't know. Just Theron was a pronunciation. I've never heard of that. All right. I'm sorry. You want to do the news? You want to, shall I email you the headlines no, and you can do no, the news? No, no, that's your domain. I'm just here to snipe in. To interrupt and not let <laughs> yes. me get through this one <laughs> sentence. Uh, a bunch of people are getting together to adapt the Grady Hendrix novel Final Girl Support Group into a series. This is a, this is a new book. It just came out. Very Mm -hmm. recently, it is about, it's a support group in Los Angeles for six girls who are all the final survivors of serial killers. And the the hook is, their experiences are the inspiration for all of our famous movie slashers. So, it's like the, you know, Laurie Strode character and the Heather Lackenkamp character. Right. The, the, you know, the fine Nancy from, from Nightmare on Elm Street. Yep. All the final girls from all of these movies. Yep. Uh, your, your, your Sydney from, uh, from Scream. You, you get what I'm saying. Totally. So Charlize Theron is signed on to this? No, no. Charlize Theron is just producing. Oh, gotcha. uh, she, we don't know. Maybe she'll take a role in this. We don't know. But mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be the, the support group for all of these survivors living in Los Angeles. Uh, kind of a meta scream sort of take on the horror genre. Very cool. That's coming to HBO Max. Nice. Did, and did you say that was a film or a series? It's going to be a series. So oh, okay. I haven't read the book. As I said, it's still, it's still very new. This guy, Grady Hendrix, he's had a few big horror novels. And a lot of them have been... Sold like a lot of them are in the process of being adapted, but I don't think we've gotten a big completed adaptation yet. Like there's also one, the Southern Book Club's Guide to Hunting Vampires. That's another one of his books that is Mm -hmm. Amazon is working on it, but it's it's in development. We haven't seen it yet. Shailene Woodley, she's going to star in a new Showtime series called Three Women. This is based on a nonfiction book by Lisa Tadeo. So in the book. Hmm. This journalist, Lisa Tadeo, tells the true story of three American women, each of whom expressed their sexual desire in some way only to receive some kind of backlash. So there's like a woman who entered an open relationship with her husband and then mm-hmm. it led to some kind of uh, trauma or, or, or bad situation. There's a woman who got involved in an affair uh, outside of her marriage and that that led to a whole confusing situation. Like uh, di- Three different stories about sexual desire that led to dark consequences. And so the show is going to be Shailene Woodley's going to play the author and she's gathering stories from other women about they're what they've been through. Gotcha. Uh, it, that reminds me of uh, yeah, kind of that uh, Katie Hill story, uh, that congresswoman who had to resign because sure. and right. apologize for just being a sexual person. I, yeah, there's such a double standard when it comes to that shit. And uh, well, it was. I'm, well, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not attacking. It was. It was uh, a staffer. It was. It was somebody who worked for her. Correct. Uh, I believe. Okay. So there's there's there is an issue that you know there is a power thing there. I'm not. I'm not saying, you know, what happened was right or whatever, but... Sure, sure. It just seems like between, like, 
implicate a man for the very same thing a woman is, and women are held to these more puritanical standards. Of course, and I'm sure that I, I would wager that that this show is going to explore those kinds of ideas and issues. If I if I had my druthers. Mm-hmm. But I don't. If I never have my druthers, but if I did, I would probably say that. I mean, yeah, it's it's few and far between where I'm like, oh, yes, my druthers. We're in the middle of a pandemic. I just, yeah. listen, nobody's nobody's putting on their druthers right now. Nope, nope. Let's go to uh, um, Lon and uh, Hal Gossip Hounds. You know who Shailene Woodley has been spotted canoodling with. I don't. Who uh, is it? Pete Davidson? It feels like that's always the answer. That strong-armed Aaron Rodgers. Uh, oh, yeah, he's an athlete. And it looks like <laughs> she'll be Green Bay packing all of her stuff in order to move in to Shea oh Cheesehead. <laughs> and I, uh, Folks, none of, these, none of these bits are planned. We don't script any of these. I know it seems like these riffs are just flowing. His hardware includes a Super Bowl <laughs> ring, but this just in, there might be a wedding ring in his future. <laughs> wow. Shailene and Aaron can't get enough of ya. Delish. Harvey Levin, if you're out there listening, <laughs> just hit us up on Twitter. We are available. Uh, I know uh, that you gotta... You didn't hear that Shailene Woodley and Aaron Rodgers were, they're like engaged. The name Aaron Rodgers means very little to me. Like, I'm not, like, I'm picturing... Uh, like a large, very generic white person. Like, More or less. He did, you know, he did host Jeopardy. Sure. Not, I did not, I did not watch those. But um, yeah, no, I, I'm vaguely familiar with that being the name of a famous person. Sure. And then they went to, uh, they went on that trip to Hawaii with Miles Teller and his wife. What? Where Why Miles are you following Teller, this so closely? Where I just, you are know, you, are you obsessed with Shailene Woodley and I just like stumbled onto it this week? I'll never tell. Yeah, all right. I I accidentally uh, stepped into Hal's Shailene Woodley fixation. And then when they were in Hawaii, Miles Teller got punched in the face because uh, his— Just just because. You don't even have to explain. Just like, (laughs) Miles Teller got punched in the face. I'm like, yep, that—yes, that figures. Checks out. Punchable face. My favorite Miles Teller story. Do you, you know who Jeffrey Wells is? He's a, he writes Hollywood Elsewhere, that film website. And okay. He's this kind of curmudgeonly L.A. film critic, and there's like a lot of funny stories. But he told a story about seeing Miles Teller at like a mall or something, and he yells after him, Yo, Whiplash! And Miles Teller like looks at him and makes like a face and like turns around. The story, as Jeffrey Wells writing, is like, what a dick Miles Teller is. It's like, who yells yo whiplash at Miles Teller when you see him like at the mall? Like, what a weird thing to anyway. Yeah. That's what I always think of. If I ever saw Miles Teller, I would be grasped with the sudden urge to yell yo whiplash at him just because that's what Jeffrey Wells did one time. Yeah, see if you can get him to scowl. Scoo, he doesn't like being called whiplash. <laughs> uh, Pen15, the delightful Hulu series. I'm, I'm a big fan of this very one. Very enjoyable, very enjoyable. Uh, we're in the midst. They, we caught kind of the first half of season two. Mm-hmm. Their COVID, the pandemic has thrown their, their season two all out of whack. Oh, yeah. With, uh, we summit. got the first half of season two. They're mm-hmm. in production on the second half. Part of the second half is going to include an animated special, an extra long episode animated about the girls going to Florida. They're going to go uh, on vacation to Fort Lauderdale. The original plan was to do it in live action, but they wanted it to be surreal and dreamlike, so they were going to do effects and prosthetics and make it look alien and weird that way. 
but mm-hmm. now COVID again, it's just not feasible. So they're going right. to animate it. So we're going to get a 40 minute animated Pen15 special where they go on an otherworldly Florida adventure. An otherworldly uh, episode of Pen15, also known as Big Mouth. They did have that crossover episode. Did you see that? What? Yeah, there is an episode where the Pen15 girls do voices on, on Big Mouth. Holy shit. Yeah, you you invented this crossover after it happened. I manifested it in the past. Yeah, but it's like, it's like you know what? You know what CW should do is all of those DC comic shows should cross over. Like, yeah, how they've been doing that for a decade now. <laughs> that is, that's kind of funny that uh, that popped in my head and that that's actually a thing. But there is an episode of Big Mouth in the most recent season where uh, Maya Erskine and Anna Conkle did guest voices as their... Pen 15 middle school selves. Good stuff, good stuff, good time. And the, it's funny because the whole episode is done in this way that they exist in their own show and they're like intruding on Big Mouth, but they give the Big right. Mouth characters an existential crisis because like they have their own opening credits and it's like, wait, are we just characters on their show? It's a, you know, they, they break the fourth wall. With it. Cool. As they tend to do on Big Mouth. Mm-hmm. Final bit of news, the John Wick spinoff series, The Continental, it was going to be a whole TV series. Uh, Stars is like, pump the brakes. That's that's a lot. So instead, mm-hmm. it's going to be three movies. They're going to be movie-length episodes. There's going to be three of them. The first one and the third one will be directed by filmmaker Albert Hughes. He's one half yeah. of the filmmaking Hughes Brothers, yes, Menace, Menace to Society, Society From yeah. Hell, The Book of Eli. Uh, last year, he directed an episode of The Good Lord Bird. He's done some solo stuff, so he's going to do The Continental Part 1 and The Continental Part 3. These are set 40 years before the main action of the John Wick films, and they'll be about Winston Ian McShane's character and his sort of rise to power in, in New York, presumably in the, I guess, in the 70s, maybe the early 80s. Kind of like the way Sherlock does things. Yeah, right. You could think of it as like a, a mini season, but with long episodes or mm-hmm. or three sort of films. And each film is going to have, you know, like a pretty decent sized budget. Like they're really going to try to make it like, you know, this is like a real part of the Wick universe. We're just getting it on on stars instead of the Wikiverse. The the Wick, yeah, the, the, that's what the the Wiki is called. The Wick Wiki. The John the John Wiki. Yeah. The John Wiki. I think so. I actually don't even know. I should look that up. So John Wick, if this was forty years prior, John Wick would be teenage boy. Yeah, like ten years old, something like that. Uh, do you think we'll cross paths with him? With a 10-year-old John Wick? I'm yes. dubious. Well, I, he'd be in, like, Belarus still or something, right? He's not even Maybe. in America at this point. Well, I don't know. Maybe his mom will be there with him, and uh, uh, Ian McShane will be like, Mrs. Wick, good to see you. <laughs> when do those drop? We don't know. We don't, like, some Sometime, they're, they're, I, I don't even think they've shot them yet. I think we're, we're a little ways off still. Oh, so no, uh, no... We don't even know. I don't even think we know who's playing young Ian McShane. We have not even gotten a... Unless they're going to de-age Ian McShane digitally and have him do it, but I doubt that. What about a, a young Lance Reddick? If they're being very prequely about it, and I'm sort mm-hmm. of hoping that they don't, but if they go the very prequel route, we will probably see him hiring Lance Reddick like at the end of this. This would end with the whole Continental falling into place as we see it in John Wick. Lance Reddick 
maybe the best posture in Hollywood. A regal bearing, Lance Reddick. Indeed. You know? Oh, my goodness. I Did mean, you ever see uh, Corporate, that, that Comedy Central uh, show? Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Jake Weisman and uh, Matt yep. Ingebretson. Uh He's brilliant in that. And it's so, it's the only time I've ever seen anybody cast him like defiantly against character. Right. Where it's right. like, we're going to have him play like the wacky, nut job, crazy boss. Because usually, you know, he plays the dignified, like the smartest guy in the room, the guy who's uh, everything close to the vest, unflappable. And mm-hmm. it's it's fun to see him get to go, like, take it to 11. Uh, yeah. And uh, just, of course, I love him from The Wire. Uh, every Everyone in who, in the, who touched The Wire acting-wise just has a... A little little place in my heart. Memorable roles on Lost, you know. Mm-hmm. Good stuff, Lon. Is will that put a does that put a button on the news? That's it. It was a very slow news week this week. No, not a lot of news. Well, uh, Lon, uh, we appreciate it. Thank you for it. And coming up, uh, ooh, get ready for Space Jam. Would you say it's time to slam and welcome to the jam? It's time to slam, and welcome to the jam. Space Jam, the next generation, the new generation? A new legacy. A A new new legacy. I was way off. You were Uh, not even close. (laughs) uh, Space Jam, a new legacy, uh, in theaters and on HBO, HBO Max. See it on HBO Max. You don't need to go to a theater for this. Yeah, I would would have to agree, My goodness. I was really looking forward to this, because I've got a lot of... Why? Because I've got a lot of LeBron love. Oh, man. Oh, God. I stan LeBron. I mean, listen, the guy's a very talented guy, but, like, it's not like, you know, he's making buckets. It's not, it's not, this is not, this is not a dunk contest, LeBron. I know, but I like the guy. I like the guy. I like the basketball player. Here's the weird thing. Yes. Is that I've seen LeBron in other stuff. Yes. Trainwreck. Commercials, Uncle Drew. He's not. He's not a terrible actor. Was he? He wasn't in Uncle Drew. Was he not in Uncle Drew? I mm-hmm. forget. I don't know. There's a lot of guys in Uncle Drew. Hey, we, we've that seen, was actually his rival. He's in that commercial where he's in. Like he plays like eight members of his own family. You yes, know what I'm LeBron's. talking about? Yes. We we've seen LeBron act. I'm not saying he's like the most brilliant actor I've ever seen, but we've seen him act. It's on camera. It's proven. LeBron can deliver a line believably with some charisma. I know he can do it. So why can't he do it in this movie? It's a little stilted. It's a little. It's a lot. It's yeah. You're comparing him to Michael Jordan, who is barely acting in the first Space Jam. Mm-hmm. He's giving it five percent effort. Like mm-hmm. Michael Jordan in the first Space Jam falls into a hole on a golf course and finds himself in a cartoon world face-to-face with Bugs Bunny, and his surprised reaction is, what's going on here? That is how Michael Jordan responds to being thrust into a cartoon universe. So we have that as our point of comparison. Mm -hmm. And LeBron's still disappointing in this film. Yes, so many of the like the emotional moments, the moments where he's talking to his son, it's the, his, really, like, his movie it, son. Also, their characterization of him is mean taskmaster, bad and, like, dad, and like why would we? But why would we want to see LeBron? Le, he's funny. Like you want him to be charismatic. Our introduction to him is him like taking his son down a few pegs, killing his son's dreams, and being like mm-hmm. very serious. Like you boys need to focus on your fundamentals. Like, is this the villain of this movie? Who 
How is this the good guy? Well, they made it into a journey where LeBron's character had to learn a little bit about fatherhood. But I think that was one of the flaws of the movie because I just rewatched the first Space Jam. One thing that I really liked about that movie is that Michael Lola Jordan, Bunny was very attractive. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, L- Lola Bunny could get it. <laughs> no, I'm but um, Michael Jordan made fun of his image a little bit. They took very real life stuff uh, that was in the news, in the headlines, quitting basketball, going to play baseball. Right. And the way the baseball players like were so polite and deferential to him, even though he couldn't play a lick, he made fun of himself. Right, he's got that line too, where he's like, "Hey, I can't do it. I'm a baseball player now." You know, like they're they're having fun with with his public image, and especially with how you know, like his ego. And, yes. Yeah. I loved that aspect of the first Space Jam. In this movie, LeBron is pretending to have this family and everything. And meanwhile, he has a very public, actual family. Like, it's not like, oh, Well, so did weird. They do that to Michael Jordan in the first one, too. He also had a famous family, and they also cast uh, actors to play his family. But no, his kids only come in for like a minute. It's true. Movie. It's not they're not as big a role, but they did. I mean, they were never going to put these guys' real family in the I'm movie. I'm not that interested in, his, in the movie kid. I mean, I thought that kid did fine. I actually think he was one of the fine pieces of the movie, but... LeBron's son, Bronny, is like a public figure now. But what are they going to do? They're, they, it's it's Le- not do it about dad. How are you not going to make it about, on some level, like, dad? He's making a kid's movie. I guess. I thought this was fucking terrible, but on this one point, I think you're being unfair. Like, like I don't care if they cast some kid to play his fake kid, because, like, I need to expect his real son to make the movie. Took me out of it a little bit. I'm sorry that this movie about LeBron James being sucked inside a computer and having to play basketball <laughs> against an algorithm that looks like Don Cheadle. I'm sorry you couldn't get into it because you know that the actor playing LeBron's son is not his real son. The the one part of this that's actually like other movies. I mean, Sarah Silverman's not the head of Warner Brothers. <laughs> that part is fucking great. Why are Sarah Silverman and Steven Yoon in that? They don't even get anything funny. They don't even get anything funny to do. And they have a relationship with the evil algorithm. It's so fucking weird. I feel like that stuff got rewritten so many times that it like doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah, th- this movie was like uh, Age of Ultron meets Ready Player One meets Click meets, oh, what's that John Ritter movie where he goes into the TV? Stay tuned. Stay tuned. A mishmash of nonsense. Once we get to the game and anything more basketball related, there's fun happening. Ugh. But every detail getting you there is either just poorly rendered or hard to grasp. Here's another weird thing. So much of this movie is geared around, they're literally LeBron gets sucked into the serververse, the world inside Warner Brothers computers where all Warner Brothers content lives. And there are scenes of him falling where it's like, there's Wizard of Oz world and Game of Thrones world and Mm -hmm. Hanna-Barbera and those where the DC comics live and so much. And then they even, when we're in the basketball arena, Don Cheadle's algorithm fills it with spectators from Warner Brothers movies. So there's the Droogs from Clockwork Orange, and there's Baby Jane from Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. There's, you know, Scooby-Doo and Jabberjaw and Iron Giant and King Kong. 
Yep. And then they run out, like, right away. And most of the crowd, if you just pause it, because obviously that's what I'm doing if I'm at home watching. I'm, like, pausing. I'm like, who can I spot? They've got yep. a few Batman villains scattered around and yep. then Hanna-Barbera characters to be recognizable. And then they've got a lot of people just, like, dressed like pirates or clowns or yep. mimes or just, like, steampunk. There's a bunch of random or cowboys. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think sometimes they'll be like, oh, that's a knight, but it might be, like, a knight from Camel. You know, like Warner Brothers produced that. But sometimes they're just fucking cheating. And it's just like, no, that's just a clown. That's not a clown. There's Pennywise. But then sometimes there's just like generic circus clown. And it's like, if you don't have enough characters to fill a stadium, don't make a movie about filling a stadium with all your fucking characters, guys. Every character, like you have the penguin from Batman Returns. And uh, you had Mr. Freeze from Batman. Yeah, there's two penguins. There's a classic Burgess Meredith top hat penguin. And then there's a freak mutant Danny DeVito penguin. Yep. And then, like you said, you had It, and It was chilling with some uh, Pennywise. His name is Pennywise. Yeah, Pennywise was uh, (laughs) was chilling with White Walkers. But the thing is... Is they all looked a little bit off mm-hmm. because it wasn't the actual movie version where it was supposed to be. But they all are you doing this again? <laughs> yes, because I'm LeBron James's son wasn't his real son, and that wasn't the real fucking Night King. Zero stars. Yeah, because it looked so different, <laughs> it took me out of it, and it was like I was watching the Hollywood Boulevard versions of these characters. Yeah, it was, I, no, it, you're exactly like right. They were che- it, it, it became a cheesy element yes. having um, essentially probably extras, and you know, I, I've done extra work. That's not a uh, nothing glamorous about that. It's kind of a bummer. I think it's funny that you're so hung up on like actors, like Hal hates the idea of acting. <laughs> But no, I I agree with what you're saying. They're not doing a good job. Like, you can tell sometimes that they're purposefully, it's like blurred, so you can't even make them out because they don't look right. Mm -hmm. You never have that feeling that these are the real characters. It's always like these are cheap knockoffs of real Warner Brothers characters. Mm -hmm. It's also shot in a way, like, obviously they just built a basketball court with green screen everywhere so that they could just shoot this and then put in whatever they wanted. Right. It never even looks like all of these beings are occupying the same space. Like, it always looks off to the eye. Like, you can tell that this is a mashup of four different images that are being digitally sewn together. Like, your brain can just tell that this isn't a real environment right away. It never feels real. Uh his wife in the movie is played by Sinequa Martin-Green, who's a Star Trek uh, Discovery From captain. Walking Dead, Walk- Star Trek Discovery, yeah. Walking Dead, yeah. She was perfectly fine, not used a ton in the movie. Oh, but there was no, no, a- it's really, she's great, and she's got a complete zero role. It's literally yeah. just like, LeBron, go in there and get our boy back. Like, that's her only, like, Yeah, line. I mean, she's uh, super likable. She's great. Uh, but the uh, there's a, there's one extra standing next to her who it's just like, it just seems like a random guy, but he's holding a briefcase. But he's like a, an older gentleman with long white hair. Oh, yes, I know. I can picture the weird guy you're talking about. And I'm like... Is that supposed to be like Michael Douglas or something? I could <laughs> that, not No, tell. that's like what, that's the experience of watching this movie. There's one shot that uh, my friend Drew and I were talking about that I said her, and I, I said it to her because of some other funny thing in the background. And then we both noticed there's a short elderly gentleman, also with stringy white hair, and he's in a hood and he's like kind of stooped over like a monk or something. And it's like, that's not a character. Like I don't, yeah. that's nobody that is an old 
old man that you put a, a some sort of a robe on, and we're like, man, Gandalf. Like that's not that's nobody. Hey, wait a minute. Why aren't there Lord of the Rings characters? That's Warner Brothers. Huh, interesting. That is New Line, which is a Warner company. I didn't even think of that. Here's another thing that got on my nerves. Yeah. Porky Pig uh, did did a rap. He rapped. The Notorious point. P.I.G., they call him. Yes, the Notorious P.I.G. And he blew away the Goon Squad. They're going against the Goon Squad, not the Monstars. And right. the Goon Squad had Damian Lillard on it. Damian Lillard is a rapper who goes by Dame Dalla. I'm like, what the hell? How come they didn't get Dame Lillard to rap against him and they just gave Notorious P.I.G. the points? I know I'm really going down the rabbit hole here, folks. You're going down, you're going, yeah, you're going down the, the porky hole. Uh, yeah. One, I, I mean, listen, by that point, the, the, the game is lost. Like, once, once you have to stoop to... to I, I, I do think it's funny that People are still like it's that it's that he's rapping. Like if it was that him singing like a heavy metal song, I don't think people would have reacted so negatively. But it's the fact that we still think of rapping as like that's a cool thing. Like Porky Pig can't do that. That's like a cool modern thing. It's like at this point, and that didn't that didn't bug me as much. Also, um, just a fun fact: you you mentioned it earlier. The movie Uncle Drew, which is Kyrie Irving's right. Uh, that's, character. that's yeah, the other um, big basketball comedy, right? Lil Rel Howery, who does um, part of the uh, who does the color commentary and the play by play in this movie, he shows up also in Uncle Drew. So Lil Rel Howery, he's just like go to uh, basketball comedy guy. When you're doing a basketball comedy or you're pranking people during a road trip, you call yes. Lil Rel Howery. Maybe watch Bad Trip instead of uh, Space Jam. Even if you've seen Bad Trip before, just watch it again instead of this. How is Dom, the LeBron's son in the movie, yeah. able to do full mocap capture with his phone? The original twosome that were brought in to do Space Jam A New Legacy was going to be Ryan Coogler producing and then Terrence Nance, the guy who did that HBO show Random Acts of Flyness. So those okay. guys, Warner Brothers brought them in they had a pitch. We don't know exactly what their pitch was. And then at some point, Warner Brothers got cold feet, fired Terrence Nance, and brought in Malcolm D. Lee, who's the credited director on the movie. Mm. Now, I feel like Coogler and Nance's pitch was probably the new Space Jam is LeBron's son has designed a basketball video game. And somehow LeBron and his son get sucked into this video game world and have to win the game to get back out. Almost like a Jumanji thing. Right. And I feel like that would have made a lot more sense and it feels like the bones of that story are in this. And then somehow they got taken out and Malcolm D. Lee came in and we got all of these other confusing ideas put on top and now the video game part doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the video game part probably was the through line because that's probably the best that makes the most sense is what this story could have been. Yep. But, uh, yeah. The, As I a think story, it doesn't make, it's it's utterly baffling. At no point does it like, I get what the plan is or like, here's what needs to happen. Like, it's just like chaotic nonsense. A little bit, a little a bit. Lot, a and lot. the, uh, there's some fun basketball stuff in there. And there are a couple of fun references. Like there was a moment where it went from a Casablanca reference to Rick and Morty. And I'm like, oh, I like that these two things are together for a moment right here, right now. But if you're in a movie and you're in any kind of jam and Rick from Rick and Morty shows up, just ask him for help. He can do anything. With literally yeah. end the movie right there. Just be like, Rick, 
the guy, the algorithm who controls this computer section is messing with us. And he'll be like, no problem. Like, it's Rick. Like, that's the, yeah. his whole character is he can he, solve any technological problem. He could have sent the algorithm guy to another uh, another dimension. Just not thinking fourth dimensionally, LeBron. Space Jam, A New Legacy is available on HBO Max and in theaters. Uh, it's... Uh, you know, not exactly a triple-double. Uh, you know what? Moving on. It's not even a single-double. No. Yeah, maybe. What would a single-double be? Just uh, double digits in uh, in one category. So uh, if you scored 10 points, that would be a single 12 double. RBIs! I know that's not. I know that's, I know that's baseball, folks. I'm just kidding. Good job, Lon. Uh... Lon, you and I both watched Schmigadoon on Apple Plus, and uh, I thought uh, this was a real fun time. Fucking delightful. God damn, how do they fucking do... This was one of those shows, every once in a while you watch a show that's not just good, but you're like, even if you had this idea fully formed, Mm -hmm. the practicality of how to do it every... Like, how to make these episodes is crazy to me. They take a lot of standard musical, big Hollywood musical tropes and then turn them on their ear. And it's a wonderful collision of modern sensibility, but classic musical. Like, obviously, Schmigadoon comes from Rigadoon, which is an old Gene Kelly musical, Maureen O'Hara. My father showed it to me way back when. Probably under duress. I probably wanted to get the hell out of there, but he was like, no, we're watching this. It's one of my favorites from when I was a kid. Yeah. What's very specific, too. That's what's interesting. Yeah. You think it's just like Broadway parody, but it specifically shows from the 50s and 60s. And it, it even more specific, it's like, Shows set in small communities or towns, like those kind. So, like Brigadoon, obviously, because it's that like magical town that's out of out of the world. But Oklahoma, obviously, yep. is a strong reference point. Carousel, Music Man, like it's very much like right down that road. I guess there's some guys and dolls kind of stuff in there too. But it's yeah, Meet Me in St. Louis. I right, think there's a that, little bit of era of musical and like pulling away from the musical there's a little bit i could see like just a little bit of our town kind of feel I, sure but like it. but even in the musicals the the songs like a lot of them are twists on i mean obviously the brigadoon theme song is oklahoma sort of tweaked but a lot of the songs are like oh that's kind of like that one number from guys and dolls and like oh this is just like that scene from carousel like mm-hmm. i i don't even know those movies that well i feel like if you were an aficionado of 50s and 60s Hollywood and Broadway musicals, you would you would be picking up on a ton of stuff. Yeah, you could probably be playing like show tune bingo as you're yeah, watching. Yeah, I like I feel uh, like all of these bits are like lifting little ideas from all of those shows. Totes. Um so uh just uh, real quick the conceit, uh Keegan Michael Key and Cecily Strong. Cecily Strong, I think maybe uh, like I'd go out on a limb and say maybe the most underrated cast member of SNL. I feel like so many people get listed before her, but um she is standout in this and Keegan Michael Key uh is always great. And uh, they are a couple who's going through some trouble and they uh, go on a little retreat and they get lost in the woods and end up in this magical town. And uh, hijinks ensue. And ensue they do. Well, it's a magical town where everything, they sing and dance constantly. It's like a town in a Broadway musical. They are informed by uh, Martin Short playing a leprechaun that they won't be allowed to leave. They can't leave Schmigadoon until they've found true love. Yes. So either but the but doesn't specify 
with each other or do they have to find it with somebody else from the town? And so obviously that's what we'll do is that old Broadway style, like the rondelou of all the different, you know, possible lovers or whatever. You know what I'm saying. The supporting cast, I mean, uh, just heavyweights. Everyone is just nailing what they're given. And a lot of uh, Broadway stars, Kristen Chenoweth, you have Alan Cumming, who has huge musical chops, and he's he's always great. Um, Dove Cameron, who's uh, got some um, definite musical chops as well. She, what was she, a Nickelodeon or a Disney star? Uh, I don't know. I don't you know, you know, Lon. You know all of your Lon. You're a you're a grown creep. You know all of the Nickelodeon. You're the damn. I'm Schneider. looking it up. I'm looking it up, folks. She was a Disney Channel star. She was on Live and Maddie on the Disney Channel. There you go. Thank you, Lon. Appreciate that. And uh, yeah, it it feels like it's so well cast. Keegan Michael Key and Cecily Strong. They they do such a great job of bringing these modern sensibilities, or just like bringing like a, a hiccup to a moment that is like, oh, this happens all the time in musicals. And I, I like that what they're doing is if you were in a musical, mm-hmm. like even if you were refusing to participate, there's really nothing you can do because everybody else, it's a conspiracy against you. Like if an entire <laughs> town is doing a musical number, you're in it, whether you want to or not. And they, they, they're, they're so good with like the timing. So it'll be everybody singing and he's responding back to them. But it's still in time and in the rhythm and they're part of these musical numbers, even as they're commenting on them. It's a very clever conceit and a great way to do that that kind of comedy where there's a musical going on, but then there's also these characters who are free to go, wait a minute. Or, you know, because all, all of these shows they're riffing on, a lot of them were written in the 30s, 40s, 50s. Oh, yeah. There's out of out of time, out of step culturally moments, and they have characters who can react. So if it's like, and, you know, and if she doesn't listen, well, you give that girl a slap and you've got a guy there to be like, oh, hey, don't what? That's horrible. You know, like it's absolutely they mine that constantly for a lot of a lot of humor. Just uh, Cecily Strong, like she plays a doctor on the show and like them being like, wait, you have you have a job, not just a job. You're a doctor like that concept right. is so foreign to right. the, to the what behind the ear yokels uh, in this town. The other the other thing I want to highlight, too, this was mm-hmm. uh, directed by Barry Sonnenfeld and the production design is Bo Welch. They're known for TV shows like Pushing Daisies, but also like, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of great films from back in the day. Like Bo Welch designed a lot of those like big Tim Burton movies and mm-hmm. uh, you know, like a lot of Edward Scissorhands is Bo Welch and like a lot of those, like all those Dr. Seuss, like the Ron Howard, Dr. Seuss and like Men in Black, like Beetlejuice. So it looks amazing. I mean, the, the show, it's, it's taking place in this very fully realized, like almost like if a Broadway set came to life and became like a whole world. It's really very impressive the way it's been brought together. And, uh, a series of unfortunate events. They also did that TV series, which is similarly like incredibly stylized and beautiful and detailed. So it looks great too. Oh, Lemony Snicket? Yes, the Lemony Snicket series, the show, the TV, the Netflix series, not the... Yes. Yes, Although yes, I think yes. actually Barry Satterfield, I think, did do the, the film as well. If you go through his IMDb, you'll see uh, he's directed a lot of your old faves probably. And um, Get yeah, Shorty. It, it's absolutely a sure hand on, on the wheel here. And was a, he was the cinematographer for the Coen brothers in the early days, Barry Satterfield. Oh, wow. Yeah. Obviously, uh, this is a. Uh, Got shot Raising by, Arizona, man. Oh, man. 
He shot Raising Arizona. Barry Sonnenfeld, in the beginning of his career, was the cinematographer for the Coen brothers. So he shot Miller's yeah. Crossing and Raising Arizona. Oh, and wow. Blood Simple. He also shot Blood Simple. Damn. I'm looking at it now. He shot Misery, and he shot uh, When Harry Met Sally, and he shot Amazing. Big, the Tom Hanks movie Big. Holy shit. So like Zoltan, like when they're at the pier, yes. and you can see the Zoltan machine, that's very sound. Amazing. And uh, yeah, uh, series produced by Lorne Michaels, and it's just... Fucking great, man. So good. Here's the thing. It's... I think this is so likable. To a lot of people, musicals might be a barrier to entry. It's like, oh, I'm not really into musicals. I mean, this is so fun, and it kind of sends up. It agrees with people who don't like musicals, but then it grabs you and takes you on a ride. It's Ted Lassoing you into liking musicals. A little bit, a little yeah. bit. But it's it's just so well done. How many episodes are up now? Like three? Oh. I think three or four, maybe four. By the time people are listening to this, it'll be four. You do well by uh, checking this out. It's yeah, just it's a great. really good time. It's super fun. Super fun. And uh, yeah, just great performances and well done all around. Schmigadoon on Apple Plus. Lon, we also watched uh, the Hulu documentary series McCartney 321, where Paul McCartney and super producer Rick Rubin walk through some uh, Beatles and Paul McCartney lore. Paul McCartney appears to have showed up at Rick Rubin's apartment, violently woken him up, demanded that he immediately come into the studio and record this docu-series with him. I've never seen, and listen, listen, I'm a slovenly guy in my everyday life. You're recording this with me. You're getting a Zoom. I, I haven't showered today. This is this T-shirt is not freshly laundered. Sure. I'll put myself together if I'm going out in public, folks. But right. I, I'm not saying I'm the most clean, fastidious guy. Okay. Rick Rubin, Rick Rubin is disgusting. Like, it's disgusting <laughs> to agree to be... It's, it's disgusting to agree to be on a TV show... Uh, and look like you've just rolled out of bed. It's, it's oh like, put goodness. yourself together. Okay, here's the They've thing. They've got hair it's and makeup like he... people on set for you, Rick Rubin. Okay, Lon, it's not like he had mustard stains on his shirt or something. Honestly, I, I think that's probably why this is in black and white. I think this oh is in black and white. goodness. Because they're like, wait, is that relish all on Rick Rubin's clothes? His thing is being kind of like a, like looking like an unkempt mountain man. That's he's, not a thing. He, he's had that trademark beard since uh, the back in Fight for Your Right to Party, the Beastie Boys video, right? A long, lustrous, bushy beard. I got no problem with that. I'm talking about run a, run a fucking comb through your hair, you goddamn degenerate. You're hanging out with Sir Paul McCartney. If you're going to meet a person who has been knighted, put a, put a shirt with some buttons on it on, would you, for the love of God? Rick Rubin does what Rick Rubin's gonna do. I'm very rarely offended by a person not putting forth the proper effort uh, like in terms of hygiene, mm-hmm. very takes a lot. Takes a lot to push me over the edge on that. But I was like, Richard, Richard, listen, Richard, R- 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 Richard, Jonathan Rubin. A crew is coming to film you. But listen, Rick Rubin has been unkempt for years. Rick Rubin is historically unkempt. Starting on him now. It's the going on your own TV show mm-hmm. that is just you and iconic musician Paul McCartney. I feel like that's an occasion you run a comb through the old hair. Wake up, get out of bed, run yeah. a comb across me, Ed. Exactly. <laughs> grab dum, grab dum, your dum. way up, find your way upstairs, grab a smoke, you know. 
Yes. Someone uh, will speak and you'll fall into a dream, you fucking bastard. <laughs> you fucking filthy bastard. I wonder I wonder if Johnny Cash, when they were recording uh, those uh, those epic Johnny Cash albums, uh, said, Hey, Rick, uh, what do you ever uh, think about combing that mop on your head? <laughs> I'm Johnny Cash. <laughs> uh, you may wonder why I dress in black, but... I wonder why that guy doesn't dress up at all for a recording session. I saw some slobs and when I was in Folsom Prison, but <laughs> nothing, no one as unpresentable as you. Now I'm stuck in Rick Rubin's apartment. <laughs> I shot Rick Rubin just to watch him die. <laughs> it smells musky in here. <laughs> uh, so I'll get this out of the way. Yes, the Beatles, they're the maybe the greatest rock band of all time. <laughs> are you about just, to say something that's going to offend me? I feel like, listen, the Beatles are fine, but they are no Jefferson Starship. Thank you. No. <laughs> Obviously, the Beatles are epic, and they've touched <laughs> culture in um, countless ways. But uh, I, I've become a little Beatles resistant. But I will say, wait, wait, you got to unpack that. They're, okay, they're the just Beatles. like okay. Do I want to watch more about? Do I want to listen? I understand. You, yeah. you've seen a like, lot of Beatles media, and you feel yes. like you're all done on Beatles content. I understand. Yeah, I felt like I, I might have reached Beatles saturation. I thought you, you know were what? dismissing the group. Not there. Oh, there no, are no, a no, lot no, of no. documentaries about them. I won't argue with you there. And you know, and podcasts and all sorts of stuff sure. about them. But the, uh, the I was I enjoyed this. I enjoyed uh, I, I I liked the personal conversation, and they were in the studio, and it's just like from the very beginning they're un packing all of these tracks and uh, they're talking about the derivation of uh, many of the Beatles hits and Paul McCartney songs and isolating sounds which is really cool and talking about who played what and you know what I just found myself like along for the ride really enjoying this and yeah, Paul it, McCartney he's a treasure the fact that he's you know as old as he is which I don't know but he's just like real with it and yeah I thought it was great I really enjoyed it it doesn't feel like an interview what Rick Rubin does well is not showering, but also uh, making this a, a conversation as opposed to an interview where he's like, right. he's picking Paul McCartney's brain and coming up with fun tidbits and little insights. It doesn't feel like an exhaustive, like, let's go through the whole career. It's not like what would happen on like a Mark Marin show or yeah. like an exhaustive interview or reflection. It's just like, let's listen to some songs and just knock ideas around and like see what... Yeah, I can jog your memory about. And like some of the stuff that comes out is is amazing. Like there's a great conversation where they're talking, they're listening to While My Guitar Gently Weeps from the White Album. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about it and he's like, so when Eric Clapton came into the studio to play with you guys, he was one of the first musicians who wasn't part of the group to come in. Did you think of him as like, ooh, this is the guy from Cream? Or were you just like, ah, this is just George's friend? And Paul doesn't miss a beat. He's just like, no, it was just George's friend. And it's like, it's so casual. And it's just like, he's remembering that day in real time. And I don't know if he meant for it to be dismissive of Clapton, but it sort of plays that way. And it's very funny. Just like when he's talking about Penny Lane and hiring the guy to play the piccolo trumpet. And the guy's like, I don't know if I can hit that note. And he's like, well... Just do your best, and then the guy does hit it, and that's what the version that's on the album. Or like he's just remembering all of this like random stuff. I didn't realize too. Another crazy story he tells: he was at one of the Albert Hall shows where Dylan on that 1966 tour, where mm -hmm. Dylan played the first half 
acoustic and then electric the second half and people booed. And Paul McCartney just tells that, just drops that story. Like, those are iconic shows. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know that Paul McCartney was in the audience. You'd think you would have heard of that, that that Paul McCartney was there for these really famous shows. Uh, There's so much stuff like that. It's just a really rich kind of conversation about random, if you're into 60s, you know, and 70s music history. Rick Rubin's appearance (laughs) aside, like he's... uh, Well, I just thought that was funny that he didn't, like, put forth 10% effort, Rick. Come on. I I hear you. It didn't uh, tar my enjoyment of the entire show. He's uh, just a great person to, uh, you know, kind of lead this conversation with uh, Paul because he's like an encyclopedic uh, musical knowledge. And there's an urgency uh, to this. It doesn't feel like we're dusting off old records. Like the fact that they're listening to it and it's like these mastered tracks and breaking them down and here and isolating the vocal and then this instrument and then that instrument. I mean, we're getting it down to there's just not that many of these guys left. I mean, almost all the people he's talking about, he's telling stories about Jimi Hendrix, he's telling stories about John Lennon, George Harrison, George Martin, Brian Epstein, uh, you know, like all, all of these guys are like, you know, most of them now are, are gone. So it does have that feeling of we're preserving this stuff and this is our last chance. Like we're well, in the last... Th- look- I hate to interrupt you. P- Paul McCartney just walked in and he wanted to uh, talk to you for a moment about, uh, yes, Sir Paul. Here, I'm going to. All right. Hello. Lorne, you, did you, you liked uh, McCartney 321? Thanks for watching. I should conduct this interview with you. I'm going to adopt the Rick Rubin style. I'll do this Rick Rubin style. Well, I could tell you one thing. The smell isn't as bad as it was when we were filming that day. Brilliant. Amazing. You're so it right. Like You're totally right. And ashtrays. That is that is what he smells like. Yes. 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 Right. Fantastic insight. Let me just say, everything you've ever done and said is also the most brilliant stuff I've ever heard. Thank you, Lon. You're almost as complimentary as Rick Rubin was that day. I'm trying, yes. Brilliant, brilliant insight, brilliant insight. Can I tell you how I wrote Lovely Rita Meter Maid? Please. Well, I was getting a parking ticket, and I'm like, oh, maybe if I pen a song to the Meter Maid, she won't give me the parking ticket. But she did. Ah, what a story. That, I, I dare say, may be the best story I've ever heard. Lon, I'm going to go piss off, but it was great meeting you. Thanks for being here, Paul. Wonderful to see you. Thank you, Sir Paul McCartney. What's he doing at your house? How did he even find your house? That's weird. That's so weird. That's very weird. Maybe I have a window open over here and he heard uh, someone mention his name. Oh, those mates are talking about me and my show. Oh. <laughs> oh, wait, Lon. I, okay, this just in. You're not going to guess who else just walked in here. The ghost of John Lennon. Wow. Hello, Lon. It's good to be here. All right. Th- th- thanks, for, thanks for joining us, ghost of John Lennon. I just want to say that all of the stories in this McCartney 321 of how we came up with our songs. All a bunch of bollocks. It's lies. Paul McCartney is spewing lies. And I'm going to come back and haunt him. You're a violent, scary ghost, I would imagine. I am a violent, scary ghost. Capable of great violence in your day. Oh, I had a mercurial temper in my day. Well well known. You you used to be cruel to your woman. You you, you beat her and kept her away from the things that she loved. We've all heard the song, John. Yes, you 
I, uh, I used to be cruel. <laughs> That's the, don't sing it because we got a we got a takedown notice. Here. But then that a gentleman who was reading Catcher in the Rye came and uh, he just. He, <laughs> How do you know about that? You were already dead when we found that out. I had a quick conversation with him before he shot me. With Mark David Chapman, you spoke with Mark David Chapman before he shot you. Yes, I said, "Do you have any good book recommendations?" And he said, "J.D. <laughs> Salinger's Catcher in the Rye." Well. Anyway, I'm going to go piss off and have a wank. The biggest news we got from this whole segment wow. is that ghosts can still have a wank. I didn't well, I wouldn't we, have thought from Ghostbusters we did know that ghosts can still perform. Yeah, you know, perform fellatio. oral, but that's very different. Yeah. Wow, what a special special way to end this <laughs> show. Well, oh special God. is one way to phrase it, sure. 2 out of 4 Beatles. Yes. It's pretty um, good. Two out of four Beatles will get you two out of four stars. <laughs> on, iTunes. on iTunes, yeah. <laughs> People are like, they can't do Ringo? That costs you a star. <laughs> uh, Lon, do you want to do any Beatles impression? Your, your Paul was pretty good. Your Paul was pretty good. For Ringo, you just say, and it's with full peace and love, I will never sign another autograph, <laughs> but I'll say it with peace and love. That does it. <laughs> I could do him, the Ringo from when he was on The Simpsons, like, also, Marge, thanks for the fab picture of me. I hung it on me wall. <laughs> Lon, nicely done. <laughs> Thank you. George uh, is look, hard. George is really hard. Yeah. I, I don't really know anybody who could do a really great George Harrison impression. I'll practice for next week. In the meantime, right. McCartney 321 is on Hulu, and it's absolutely worth checking out, whether you're a super fan. It's great. Listen, Rick Rubin's very fawning towards Paul McCartney, and he really should have brushed his teeth. But <laughs> otherwise, it's a great, it's a terrific his, show. His breath was intolerable. Oh, my goodness. All my, all my Beatles, I'm realizing now all my Beatles impressions are the Beatles from The Simpsons. Because I was also thinking of their yellow submarine, like, do you feel like we're being followed by an oversized statue of Queen Victoria? <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Hoot, hoot, shout out to Owl Nation. Uh, where my gahooligans at? Thank you for listening, Owl Nation. There's a little owl that lives in all of us. Thanks to Starburns Audio. And thank you to our super producer, Travis Reeves, for holding it down. Jason Kay for rocking us into the show with our theme song. And Lon Harris, uh, please tell folks where they can find you. Uh, find me on Twitter at L-O-N-S. Uh, that's where to find me. That is the account you sent to Rick Rubin if he's deeply offended. He could he could get in my DMs and we'll mix it up there. We'll, we'll, we'll work this out. Uh, and also uh, subscribe to the Inside Streaming Newsletter. That's where I write about all of this stuff five days a week. It is totally free. Inside.com slash streaming. Thanks, Lon. And uh, you can find me at Hal Rudnick on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening, everybody. And if you are feeling so inclined, go to iTunes and give us a nice rating. Uh, we'd greatly appreciate it. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>